Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Welcome everyone to episode number 75 from Delving into Islam podcast. This is your host, Wa'il. And it is a blessing from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and a privilege that I'm able to talk to you about the religion of Islam and that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is allowing me to share my knowledge with you. Thank you so much for listening and participating and sending in all your questions and suggestions. And speaking of which, if you have any questions or suggestions, please email me at delvingintoislam at gmail.com. Again, delvingintoislam at gmail.com, and I will get back to you as soon as possible, inshallah. Uh, Now, this podcast is for anyone, whether you are remotely curious about the religion of Islam, or if you're thinking about becoming a Muslim, or if you just became a Muslim, or if you are already a Muslim who wants to learn more about Islam, this podcast is for you, inshallah. Uh, now, with that being said, let's get right into today's topic. And actually, before we get into today's topic, I just want to ha- have a little bit of an announcement. Not a big deal. I just, for those of you who follow social media, I just decided to create uh, um, uh, an Instagram page and an Instagram account under the name of With Wa'il, one word, With Wa'il, one word. Um, in it, I just, you know, post things about the podcast, announcements about the podcast and the next episodes. Uh, I actually post sh- short videos answering questions, uh, you know, regarding Islam. Now, regarding today's topic, today we will address something that's, I think it's the final controversial, quote unquote, controversial uh, incident uh, that took place, uh, you know, uh, in the biography of the Prophet Sallallahu Again, we mentioned before a lot of uh, controversial stuff that, you know, Islamophobes and ignorant people use to, you know, ruin the image of Islam and specifically the image of the Prophet Sallallahu We addressed, alhamdulillah, all of them, uh, except for this one that we're going to address today. But, you know, calling him a warmonger calling him like he was, you know, used to steal caravans and all these things, uh, calling him a womanizer, you know, marrying young children, uh, all these ridiculous claims. Alhamdulillah, we addressed all of them. Uh, and today, uh, we will address the final controversial uh, topic, an incident, which is how did the Muslims deal with the Jewish tribes of Medina? Now, a lot of people call Muslims anti-Semitic. They call the Prophet anti-Semitic. This is actually a ridiculous claim for one simple reason. In order to be anti-Semitic, you have to be anti-Allah, anti-God. Because the, the, the religion of Judaism, the original religion of Judaism came from Allah, right? So for us to not like Jews because they are Jews, because, you know, because of their religion, is contradicting to who we are. Now, I'm not saying all Muslims are in love with Jews, but I'm just saying Islam never promotes anti-Semitism. Islam is actually, and we've talked about this numerous times, Islam teaches us how to be tolerant to other people and dealing with other religions, right? We respect all religions, even though we do not agree with the ideology of other religions, right? But we have to respect the people that come from that religion. Religions eventually come from Allah. So being anti-Semitic, hating Jews for because of their religion is does not make any sense. Right? It does not make any sense at all. The Prophet ﷺ was happy. We talked about this in, uh, in the episode of you know, changing the Qibla. The Prophet ﷺ was happy that he was going to Medina uh, and he was going to live with you know, Jewish people because they know, he knows that there are people from the book. You know, and he knows that they will understand Islam. Now, they didn't understand Islam and they rejected him as a prophet, but it shows you that he was not hostile at all. 
He was excited to be with them and he was completely disappointed when they started humiliating Muslims and, you know, making fun of the Muslims. We also talked about that and, and you know, telling them that, oh, the, you guys imitate us. Um, and you guys pray towards Jerusalem and that, that's the main reason why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala changed the Qibla from Jerusalem to Mecca. Because the Jewish people in Medina were making fun of the Muslims because, oh, because we pray to Jerusalem, you guys are imitating us, you don't have religion of your own and all these things, right? So it does not make any sense to call the Prophet anti-Semitic. Also, the same thing for Muslims now. Muslims now are not, uh, true Muslims, true believers are not, should not be anti-Semitic. They're not anti-Semitic. You know, some people claim, okay, Quran has a lot of negative stories about the children of Israel, Right? There's the whole chapter of Baqarah talking about them. Yes, but we also have positives. There's a reason why Allah mentions stories from people before us. Not just the children, the children of Israel, but other people as well. Why? So we can learn from those stories. We can learn not to disobey our messenger. We can learn not, not to do other stuff that the children of Israel and other, Ad and Thamud, these are all other nations who also disobeyed their uh, messengers and their prophets that were sent to them, right? We learn from these things. Allah tells us this not to create hate. Allah created all of us. It does not make any sense that Allah would create animosity between us. Actually, it's the opposite. You know, uh, it's the Allah wants us all to be united. Some people reject that unity and some people don't, right? So again, back to my point. Now, people are mixing things up between like, for example, the Palestinian cause and the, the, the Israeli uh, conflict that's going on right now. This is different. This is more political. There isn't a religious aspect because of Jerusalem and all these things, of course. But yes, there is an animosity between a, a lot of the Arabs. Uh, who are jealous because, you know, what happened to uh, Palestine and all these things, which is totally understandable, right? And, and, and you, they should, and we should, right, as Muslims, hate what's happening inside the Masjid al-Aqsa. You know, when Israelis step into the Masjid and with their, with their, with their shoes and they basically humiliate the Muslims there, they, uh, uh, you know, disrespect the Islamic uh, uh, civilization and all these things, we have to be upset. You cannot expect Muslims not to be upset. That does not make us anti-Semitic, though. There are there are reasons why certain Muslims feel this, the way they do towards you know uh, uh, Israel. Not even towards all of uh, all of like the Jewish people around the world. It's just to, towards this group of you know Zionist Israeli people. That's it. It's that simple. Not a big deal. So again, that claim that Muslims and the Prophet Sallallahu were uh, are the Muslims are anti-Semitic and the Prophet Sallallahu used to be anti-Semitic. Is false is a false claim because of you know because of the nature of Islam, the nature of our beliefs when it comes to other religions. It just contradicts, right? Uh, another thing that it's historically proven that every time the Jewish people are persecuted in any other land, they would seek refuge in a Muslim land. Look it up; it's historically proven. Now, how the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam dealt with the Jewish tribes. We're going to talk about the whole story. It was because of what they did, not because of who they were. Again, I have to emphasize this. It was because of what they did, and we'll get to what they did in a little bit. Not because of who they were. Because of who they were, the Prophet was more than excited you know, to deal with them. The Prophet made a treaty. Remember the constitution he wrote for Medina? It's, it literally protected the rights of the Jews in Medina. So there is no way the Prophet ﷺ, you know, punished 
the Jewish tribes because of who they were. It does not make any sense. It's because they broke that treaty. They betrayed the Muslims. They betrayed Medina. They betrayed their country. Guess what is the punishment and the penalty of traitors? Here, now, everywhere, in the West, in the East, in current times, the punishment is death. When you, the, the penalty of treason is death, you know? So that's what I'm trying to say. It was because of what they did, not because of who they were. Also, the Prophet ﷺ himself, there's an authentic hadith by the Prophet ﷺ who said, the second largest nation to enter paradise is the Jewish nation, the children of Israel. But we're not talking about the people who live now who rejected the Prophet ﷺ and they don't want to become Muslims and they don't, you know, they rejected the perfection of Allah. No, no, no. We're talking about those who followed Moses when he was a prophet and who followed Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and worshipped Allah the right way. They were so much in number, the Jewish people who followed Moses, that they will be the second largest nation to enter paradise. On the Day of Judgment, and this is authentic hadith by the Prophet ﷺ, on the Day of Judgment, the Prophet ﷺ will see a huge black spot in the land of gathering while we're standing waiting for Allah's judgment. And this black spot, basically it's a metaphor for the amount of people, dark spot, you know, because the land of gathering will be like a, a white sandy type of land. So there's a huge crowd standing all together. Then the Prophet ﷺ will be happy. He's going to say, my nation, the Muslims. Jibreel will be ne standing next to the Prophet ﷺ and he's going to say, no, those are not your people. Those are the followers of Moses, the Jewish people, the true Jewish people who, you know, died upon worshiping Allah, following his messenger. Then Jibreel will point at another huge, large gathering that will literally block the horizon. And he will say, those are your people. Alhamdulillah. By the blessings of Allah, Muslims will be the majority. Majority of mankind will be Muslims who will enter paradise. The number one. The largest nation to enter paradise will be, inshallah, Muslims. The second largest nation will be the Jewish people. So we believe that as Muslims. The Prophet ﷺ himself told us that. So how do you call the Prophet ﷺ who said that hadith anti-Semitic? How do you call people who believe in this hadith and believe that there's so many good Jewish people and they died, who died upon you know Judaism and even the people who live today and now, we do not hate people because of what they believe, but we deal with people based on how they deal with us, how they treat us, right? That's literally the logical uh, way of dealing with people anywhere, in any culture, in any religion, right? So again, the, 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 me, this is me addressing the whole uh, notion of anti-Semitism does not make any sense when it comes to you know Islam. Now, let's talk about what exactly happened uh, uh, that led to the punishment of you know those tribes or those people. So let's number one, in Medina, there was three main Jewish tribes. Banu Qainuqa, that's number one. Banu Nadir, that's number two. Banu Quraida, that's number three. Now, the word Banu means the, the children of, you know, the children, Banu Israel, the children of Israel, right? So when you say Banu, that means they're the children of Qainuqa, and then the children of Nadir, and the children of Quraida. Again, three major tribes. When the Prophet ﷺ made the, the, the constitution, when he wrote the constitution, when he made the treaty with them, these 
three major tribes agreed to that treaty and they signed it and they were like, that's it, we're going to abide by it. Okay, now let's talk about the first tribe, Banu Qaynuqa. Banu Qaynuqa, they lived outside of Medina. They lived, you know, on the skirts of Medina. Uh, and, uh, you know, between the Battle of Badr and the Battle of Uhud, so, you know, that was before the Battle of Uhud, but after the Battle of Badr, they started showing their true intentions. Now, they were kind of hoping that the Muslims would die at the Battle of Badr, but they didn't. And they won, and the victory was massive. So they started getting frustrated, and because of their frustration, because they rejected, they did not want the Prophet They didn't want him. They did not want Muslims. The reason why they rejected Islam, just one of the reasons is arrogance. They wanted, because they believed that there was going to be a Prophet. They knew the, Allah says this in the Quran They knew the Prophet They knew him as if they knew their own children So they knew he was the true messenger But out of arrogance They did not want to follow him Why? Because Islam was for everyone Islam was not just for the Jews They wanted someone to come to elevate them And not elevate everybody else But Islam came to elevate everyone No, no There is no here No uh, favoritism no, and they did not want that. Like they did not want to be equal to the you know pagans who became Muslims, the Ansar, right? The people of Medina. They don't want to be equal. They always wanted to have this you know upper hand and you know bigger and higher status. Islam said no more statuses like that, right? They didn't like that. That's one of the main reasons why they rejected the Prophet and they rejected Islam. So they got frustrated when the Muslims won. So they started, you know, there was a lot of tension harassing the Muslims here and there. And we, we mentioned like this whole like, you know, uh, this whole like change in the Qibla that happened before the Battle of Badr. But it shows you the tension was rising. There was a Muslim woman and that's the incident that took place. There was a Muslim woman. Now they had their own markets. There's a Jewish market and then there's a Muslim market. So the Jews would come to the Muslim market, buy stuff. The Muslims would go to the Jewish market and buy stuff. So it was a very supposedly normal interaction between, you know, both uh, people. So there was a woman, a Muslim woman who went to the Jewish market and she was bargaining, buying stuff. And she sat down with the trade or whatever. She was bargaining with her and all these things. And then they decided to pull a prank on that Muslim woman. They a lot of people agreed okay let's let's do this uh prank to humiliate that muslim woman so they plotted to embarrass her in front of everybody so one person one guy came in and in 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 a quiet way started cutting certain parts of her dress so the dress would fall when she stands up and she would get humiliated in front of everyone so that was the plan and it actually worked very quietly and you know we don't know who was in on it and who wasn't but a, there was a huge number who was like literally trying to make it work so he cut that dress off in a certain way cut certain parts of the dress and as soon as she finished bargaining with the with the person she stood up and her dress fell and she was naked she there was no underwear nothing she was fully naked in front of everybody and she started crying because everybody started laughing everybody in the market started laughing pointing at her you know if they had cameras back in the day they would have taken camera they would have taken pictures and all these things right so they were humiliating her to the to the furthest extent she started crying asking for help nobody would come she started covering you know her body with whatever the dress that fell and of course you know it was humiliating and uh, one 
Muslim happened, one Muslim guy happened to be in the market. He saw what happened. He literally put his garment around her to cover her body. The man who cut, uh, you know, who cut her dress started mocking him, saying bad words. So the Muslim, out of anger, killed him, took out his sword and killed that person. So the entire market, as a response, surrounded that Muslim and they stabbed him to death. They kept stabbing him until he died. Now, the news reached our Prophet ﷺ. It reached the Prophet ﷺ. Right after it reached him, he found... Now, of course, the news when it, the news reached him, the whole story was told to the Prophet ﷺ. Now he knows what happened, who started this, with what intention, all these things were known. He sent a messenger to Banu Qaynuqa to tell them that the treaty is no longer in effect. You guys betrayed the treaty. You broke the treaty unofficially, I am breaking it officially. Look at the mannerisms of the Prophet ﷺ. He did not straight up take his men and go attack Banu Qaynuqa. He did not do that. He actually gave them a heads up. The treaty that we had that you just broke by doing what you did, now it's officially broken. And he announced it to them. And that was a known thing by the Prophet ﷺ. And, and so it's actually a thing that Muslims have to do. You do not, as a Muslim, break the treaty. If you have any covenant, any agreement with someone, you do not break that agreement just like that. You have to inform the other party that you are breaking this agreement. Give them heads up. As a Muslim, you're forbidden from basically betraying someone that you had an agreement with, right? So the Prophet ﷺ sent a messenger telling them, this is not working out. That, tr that, that treaty is no longer in effect. Now, here's the thing. The treaty was made with the three tribes. Like we said, Banu Qaynuqa, Banu Nadir, and Banu Quraida, right? So the Prophet ﷺ, out of his wisdom, he sent two messengers. One to Banu Nadir and one to Banu Quraida, the other two tribes. Asking them, this is what happened with Banu Qaynuqa. This is what happened. This is the situation. They did this. We broke off the treaty with them. Are you guys still gonna honor the, this treaty are you still part of this treaty or do you want to break it off this is very wise of the Prophet now because he broke it off with one tribe does not mean he will break it off with the rest and that shows you that he wanted to work with the Jewish tribes he just didn't want to declare war on them right even though he could have easily done it because the Muslims were the largest you know uh, uh, group in Medina but he didn't he wanted to work with them so uh, he basically goes and uh, asks the other two tribes, what do you guys think? Are you guys still in agreement with us regarding the treaty or not? Are you going to still honor the treaty? And they both said, yes, we will honor the treaty. We have nothing to do with Banu Qaynuqa. So the Prophet ﷺ, after he got the confirmation from you know both uh, uh, the, the other uh, two tribes, he took like a mini army. Not, not the full army, and he uh, marched to Banu Qaynuqa. Now, one fact that you guys need to know about the Jewish tribes of Medina, that they used to live in fortresses. They had their own, so every tribe had their own big fortress, right? With, 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 and, and those fortresses had uh, thick and very high walls. So they basically, you cannot breach those walls. You cannot, you know, uh, do anything to them if they are inside those fortresses. All three tribes, by the way. Separate fortresses. So Banu Qaynuqa, when they, when they heard that the Prophet ﷺ is bringing people, bringing Muslims and coming to see them, they rushed into 
their fortress. They just fleed there and they locked the gates and they just, they knew they did something wrong. They did something terrible, right? So the Prophet found out that, you know, he cannot get to them in their fortresses. So he surrounded the fortress, basically put them under siege to cut off the supplies and to cut off food and water and, you know, to make them eventually surrender. And actually that tactic worked because they eventually surrendered. Again, for two weeks, the Prophet ﷺ surrounded Banu Qaynuqa. For two full weeks, he surrounded them. So they got frustrated. There's no food coming in because you have to understand their farms and their lands are outside of the fortress, not inside. So they can't even get to their foods and, and all these things. And the walls are also outside of the fortress. So no food, no water coming in. So after two weeks, they decided to surrender. Then all the men were captured, right? And then they were tied up. Mainly the people who were responsible for what happened in the market, which was the majority of the market. And here comes the leader of the hypocrites. Now, we talked about the hypocrites before, and we said the hypocrites were those who pretended to be Muslims after the Battle of Badr. Uh, pretended to be Muslims, but they were never truly Muslims, and Allah exposed them. Now, this does not contradict the intention part. They hid the fact that they were disbelievers, but Allah exposed them to the Prophet and in the Quran. So that doesn't mean that the Prophet was dealing with the hypocrites based on their intentions, because he was already told by Allah their intentions, right? Uh, so now, at this point, because we said that the, the, this incident is taking place between Badr and Uhud, the hypocrites were not declared as hypocrites yet. We mentioned that after the Battle of Uhud, the hypocrites became officially the hypocrites. Allah exposed them during the Battle of Uhud. But so far now, they're not exposed. The Prophet knows about them. Allah told them. Uh, the Muslims are suspecting they're not, they're on the fence when it came to the hypocrites because they see how they are treating the rest of the Muslims that they see they're not sincere, right? But they cannot form their final opinion yet. They will form it after the Battle of Uhud. So the leader of the hypocrites, Ibn Salul, Abdullah ibn Ubay ibn Salul, he basically goes into uh, the, the Muslim camp where they are, you know, having uh, the men as captive and he literally yells at the Muslims. Now, you have to understand, the hypocrites and the Jewish tribes were very strong allies before Islam and of course after Islam because the hypocrites never became fully Muslims. They were just pretending, right? So they were very close allies. And he got furious. He was angry when he found out what happened. Of course, he did not care about, you know, that they started it and they humiliated that woman and they killed that Muslim. They did, he didn't care about all this. And then he yells at the leader. There was some sort of a leader who was in charge of like, you know, uh, the, the captured men. Uh, so he basically tells him, if you do not untie them right now, I will do it myself. And to that, the companion responded and said, if you do, I will kill you myself. Why did he say that? Well, number one, Abdullah ibn Ubay ibn Salul is not the leader of the Muslims. Yes, he's a senior, but he's not a leader. Who gave the command? It was the Prophet The Muslims cannot disobey the command of the Prophet You know? So basically the companions say, I cannot disobey the command. And if you try to force untying them, I will kill you. It's that simple. You know? Uh... Now, again, we said like Abdullah ibn Salul was very close with uh, all of the tribes, all three tribes, because, you know, they were business partners. There's a lot of political allies. There's a lot of benefits that he would gain 
from you know uh, from them. So he goes to the Prophet ﷺ directly. Now he failed to untie them and show that he's you know his boss. So he goes directly to the Prophet ﷺ and he asked him to release the prisoners. So the Prophet ﷺ does not respond. Now, like we said, the Prophet ﷺ knows he's a hypocrite because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala at that time revealed who was a hypocrite, who was not. Then he kept, then uh, Ibn Salul kept repeating his request and yelling. Look at the vulgarity. He kept yelling at the Prophet ﷺ. And yet the Prophet ﷺ still did not respond. Then he turned around and he was about to walk away. So the Prophet ﷺ had enough of this and he was about to walk away. And when Abdullah ibn Ubayd ibn Salul saw that he was about to walk away, he grabbed the armor of the Prophet ﷺ. You know, the armor that the Prophet ﷺ puts, you know, like the body armor. He grabbed it and it was, of course, very disrespectful. And he yelled and repeated his request. And the Prophet ﷺ got so irritated that he said, let go of me. Like he yelled, let go of me. Can you imagine? Again, if you do this to the leader, you would be punished on the spot showing disrespect. The leader of an army, you'll be punished on the spot. Doesn't matter if you're a Muslim pretending to be a Muslim or not. Does not matter. But the Prophet yelled at him, let go of me. And Ibn Salul still, he said, I'm not going to let go until you free them. And then the Prophet yelled again, let go of me. And then Abdullah ibn Abayyab ibn Salul saw that the Prophet is not giving him what he wants, so he started begging, please let go of them. They are my allies, you know, show some mercy, all these things. And he said that those people protected me when I needed protection, they financially helped me, they politically helped me, all the, it's all personal gains, right? And the Prophet got so irritated, he wanted to end this conversation, so he said, you know what, they are yours. They are yours. Now, the Prophet did not intend to kill them. He did not intend to harm them. But Abdullah could not be uh, patient. He couldn't be patient. He wanted to, uh, number one, show them that, hey, I'm your ally. I'm going to save you. And the Prophet did not want to play his game. So he said, you know what? You want them? They are yours. Now, the Prophet said, but there's one condition. They have to pack their stuff and leave within three days. They have to leave. Whatever their, you know, camels can, you know, hold, whatever their, you know, their stuff can carry, they will take it and leave. And of course, they agreed to that knowing what they did. They knew what they did. They know they were provoking the Muslims. And the Prophet knew that their existence in Medina is an internal threat. Remember, we talked about the internal threats. That was the number one internal threat, of course, with the hypocrites as well. And they packed their stuff and they they said that their camels couldn't even walk from the amount of things that they packed. And of course, the rest was divided on the rest of the people living in Medina. Now, that was the first tribe. The second tribe is called Banu Nadir. Banu Al-Nadir. Now, the chapter of Hashr, there's a chapter in, 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 in the Quran called the Hashr. It actually explains in vivid detail what happened with Banu Nadir. 
So if you guys read the chapter, if you read the interpretation of the chapter, it literally tells the story of Banu Nadir. Again, the tension was rising between the Muslims and the Jewish tribes in Medina. Now we have two tribes left. Here's the thing. During the Battle of Uhud, remember the Muslims were waiting by the mountain and the people of Quraysh knew their way around the mountain even though they were not from Medina. So how did they know? Well, Banu Nadir, the second Jewish tribe, actually helped Quraysh during the Battle of Uhud by guiding them through the land. This is treason. This is straight up treason. But guess what? The Prophet ﷺ did not deal with them because of that. But that was noted. And what was Quraysh trying to do? They were trying to attack Medina. It's a full-on treason. Now, there was an incident that happened after the Battle of Uhud. A Muslim killed one of the pagans from the tribe of Banu Umayr. Now, Banu Umayr is a tribe that basically, uh, uh, they pretended to be Muslims. They asked the Muslims to send an emissary for them to teach their own tribe. So a, a tribe faked that they, were, they are becoming Muslims. And they asked the Muslims, can you send someone to teach us Islam? And once the Muslims reached uh, that Banu Umayr, they started slaughtering them. They killed, they trapped the Muslims. It was a massacre. They literally killed all the Muslims except for one who managed to escape, right? During that time, the chieftain of Banu Umayr made a deal with our Prophet ﷺ. So he went to the Prophet ﷺ. They had a, a treaty and they said, we're going to stop the massacre. Uh, we're going to stop everything and we're going to have truce. Now, the Muslim who escaped was on his way to Medina. He did not know about that treaty. Right? He did not know about that treaty that it took place while he was in his you know, escape route. And from a distance, he saw two people from Banu Umayr you know, coming his way. So he attacked them and he killed them because of what they did to his fellow Muslims. Right, The problem is when he killed them, that happened after the treaty took place. A blood money has to be paid. The Muslims have to pay the blood money to Banu Umayr. Even though, look at the ultimate justice of the Prophet Number one, they just massacred a group of Muslims. Number two, the Muslim who attacked them did not know about the treaty. He did not know that there was a you know peace, uh, peace treaty going on between both uh, between the Muslims and the Banu Umayr. He did not know about it, right? But out of the ultimate justice of the Prophet an honoring it shows you how he honors the treaty. And because he was honoring the treaty, he agreed to pay the blood money. Now, the Muslims simply did not have enough to pay the full blood money for those two people. So the Prophet ﷺ took with him Abu Bakr and Umar, and they went to Banu Nadir to ask for their help. It shows you that the Prophet ﷺ wanted to work with the Jews of Medina. He wanted to have some sort of alliance with them, right? He wanted them to help with the blood money. So he went to ask him for help. And Banu Nadir, actually, again, like we said, they used to live in fortresses, but he met them outside of the fortress. And the leaders were very welcoming of the Prophet. You know, and they said, you know what? It's about time 
now you come to us for help. So that shows that they also wanted to help. So they asked him to wait outside. They said, let's let's go inside the fortress. We're going to talk with, you know, the elders and try to come up with the money. So if you don't mind waiting here. And he did wait outside of the fortress. Now, he was sitting, the Prophet ﷺ sat with, alongside with the companions under one of the walls of the fortress, you know, until they discussed what they're going to do. Meanwhile, when they went inside the fortress, they started suggesting, should we kill him now? Look at this. They wanted to kill a prophet and a messenger of Allah and the leader of the quote-unquote the country they live in because Medina was the country they live in, right? So equate this with trying to assassinate the president of a country that you live in, that you're a citizen of. So one of them suggested that this is the right chance to kill him. How would they kill him? He's sitting right under our fortress so we go on the roof of the fortress they had like big rocks you know ready for like a defense mechanism so they can drop it on those who try to you know break through uh the the gates of 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 the fortress and they said we'll drop the rock on him and his companions and then the muslims will be weakened because their leader will die right now and we can easily take over medina can you imagine this? Some of them, very few, opposed the plan, but eventually they all agreed to actually execute the plan, to kill the Prophet assassinate him. So they started going up the roof of the fortress to literally push the rock, the huge rock, to you know drop it on top of the Prophet and Omar and Abu Bakr. So out of nowhere, immediately, the Prophet stood up without saying a word, and he started walking away. And then Umar and Abu Bakr were a little bit surprised. Like, where is he going? They called him. He did not answer. He kept on walking. So the companions waited for him. Now, the people of Banu Nadir, they saw that the Prophet ﷺ walked away. So they waited because they, they won't gain anything from killing Umar and Abu Bakr alone. Actually, this is going to cause a huge problem for them. You know, because the leader will still be there, Prophet Muhammad Wasallam. So they waited. They said, you know, let's wait. He's probably going to come back. And Omar and Abu Bakr also waited, but the Prophet never came back. So they eventually left and went back to Medina. And then when they saw the Prophet in Medina, he told them that Jibreel, Angel Gabriel, came to him and told him, stand up and leave right now. They're about to kill you. Literally, that's why the Prophet right away stood up and left. And of course, the Prophet knew that uh, Omar and Abu Bakr will be protected. They will gain nothing from killing them, so they won't, you know, even you know, drop that rock anyway. Then, Abu, our Prophet sent a messenger to Banu Nadir, which stated this: "For what you try to do, you have ten days to leave Medina." Now, in my opinion, this is very merciful they tried to kill the prophet they tried to assassinate the leader of their country what is the penalty of you know what happened to uh you know those who assassinate the presidents of countries they get executed right away right away so the prophet gave him 10 days to leave and of course when ibn salul again the leader of the hypocrites hears this he sends the message to banu nadir telling them what 
don't not worry. Don't leave. Don't go anywhere. We will help you no matter what. And if the Muslims fight you, we will fight next to you against the Muslims. As if they're not, again, they're claiming to be Muslims, but they say when the Muslims fight you, we'll fight with you guys. Allah exposes the hypocrites in the Quran in the chapter of Hashr. Like I said, it's a beautiful chapter. Alhamdulillah, I have it all memorized. Alhamdulillah. And Allah says in verse number 11, أَلَمْ تَرَ إِلَى الَّذِينَ نَافَقُوا يَقُولُونَ لِإِخْوَانِهِمُ الَّذِينَ كَفَرُوا مِنْ أَهْلِ الْكِتَابِ لَإِنْ أُخْرِجَتُمْ لَنَخْرُجَنْ Allah is literally, by the way, when Ibn Salul sent that message to Banu uh, Nadir, no one knew about it. But Allah, of course, did. And Allah, exp- it was a miracle of the Quran, of course. Allah exposed that message in the Quran. Allah saying in that verse, أَلَمْ تَرَ إِلَى Didn't you see those who are hypocrites telling the disbelievers from the people of the book, meaning the Banu Nadir, if you leave, we will leave with you. But if you stay, we will fight for you. Right? Wallahu yashhadu innahum lakadibun, and Allah knows they are liars. Allah knows their intentions, right? So Allah knows that they're just saying that to look good. But they will never fight the Muslims because they're too cowards to fight the Muslims. They're too scared to fight the Muslims. And they wouldn't do any of their they wouldn't keep any of their promises to Banu Nadir. And Allah's exposing them in the Quran. Now, Banu Nadir, right, they seem to be united under their in their fortress. But in the in reality, what was happening inside that fortress is that because of what because of their decision to kill the Prophet, they started arguing with one another. There was a huge and a severe conflict between one another. How do we know this? Allah exposes that in the Quran chapter, in the, in the, in the, in the chapter of Hashr, verse number 14. You think they are all united, but they're actually not. They're fighting one another. Now, the leader of the, uh, of the Banu Nadir, his name was Huyayi. Now, Huyayi is a very uh, famous character. He's pure evil. And he will have a role in one of the battles against the Muslims in the future. But Huyayi also is uh, the father of, uh, of Safiya. And Safiya becomes the wife of the Prophet. Uh, and we mentioned her story uh, you know, uh, in, in the episode of the wives of the Prophet. But you know, he was a bad human being. She became our one of our mothers. Uh, and may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala be pleased with her and the rest of our mothers as well. Now, uh, so Huyayi, the, the leader of, 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 uh, of Banu Nadir, he actually bought what the leader of the hypocrites told him. That they're going to fight with them and all these things. So he said, you know what? We're not going anywhere. We're going to fight you. So they sent a messenger to the Prophet ﷺ telling him that they will not leave and he could do whatever he wants. Basically do your best. After they agreed to leave, by the way. They agreed to leave, but then Ibn Salul told them what he said, and then they believed it. So they were like, okay, we're not, we're not going anywhere. We're fighting you guys. So the Prophet ﷺ accepted the challenge, and on the same day, the Muslims sieged the fortress of Banu Nadir. Now we have to understand again, Banu Nadir tried to kill the Prophet ﷺ. They tried to kill the leader of their own country. You know? They were another source of danger after Banu Qaynuqa. They were the second source of danger to Muslims from within, an internal threat to the Muslims, right? 
So they surrounded them for around a week, and they are now waiting for who? For Ibn Salul to come help him. Right? Banu Nadir waiting for Ibn Salul, okay? He said, if you fight, we're with you. Now the Muslims are surrounding us. What are you going to do? And of course, Ibn Salul was a no-show. He did not show up. He did not even leave his own house. Now, during the siege, here's a very interesting and very important uh, incident. During the siege, the Prophet ﷺ took uh, the companions, some of the companions with him, and they went to the third tribe, Banu Quraida, the last tribe. He did the same thing he did with them when he dealt with Banu, Banu Qaynuqa. What did he do? Now the second tribe, he's telling them, the second tribe, he went himself. The second tribe broke the treaty. They tried to assassinate me. They helped the mushriks against us. They helped the disbelievers. Are you still honoring the constitution? Are you still honoring the treaty? And Banu Qurayda said, yes, we are. Don't worry about us. You know, shame on them, Banu Nadir. Shame on them. We're good. Don't worry about us. This is very important because it's going to play a role in the future. Now, according to their own laws, according to their own laws, and our laws globally, those people, like I said, should have been executed on the spot for trying to kill the leader and betraying their land, the government, right? But the Prophet ﷺ forgave them and he spared their lives, right? And he gave them their property. He said the same thing, go take what you can, right? And when... Uh, uh, Ibn Salul was a no-show He never showed up They decided to surrender And the Prophet ﷺ said Also what your camels can carry Same exact thing he did With Banu Qaynuqa Even though those people Tried to assassinate him The Prophet ﷺ Owned what he wanted Is to eliminate the threat from within He did not want to have to worry About internal threats So he just expelled them Now here's the interesting part They started Before they left they started destroying their own homes because they had fancy homes, like I said. They had homes that are made in fortresses. So they started destroying their own homes because they did not want the Muslims to take, the, uh, you know, to live in those houses. So they started destroying their own homes. And actually, that was a punishment from Allah. Again, the chapter of Hashr, verse number two. They were so greedy, they were so arrogant that they did not want the Muslims to live in their houses, so they started destroying the walls, you know, breaking this and that in their own homes. So after they were expelled, they all went to, to live in a city called Khaybar, which is a fairly close city from Medina. It's like about two hours drive from Medina, right? And they decided to live there until they will come back into, you know, the picture uh, later on. But for now, they just left Medina. The third tribe that we're going to talk about, actually we're, going to talk, we're not going to talk about now, but we're going to talk about very briefly because they are connected to the next event, uh, which is called the Battle of the Trench, uh, uh, that will happen uh, with the Muslims and, uh, and, and Quraysh and other tribes as well. Uh, Banu Quraida, again, the Prophet ﷺ warned them twice, right? Did you, do you honor the treaty? Yes, we do. Do you honor the treaty? Yes, we do. They will play a significant role in betraying the Muslims. They're going to have the highest level of treason of the all the three of all three tribes against the Muslims, and that treason will show during the next event, which is the Battle of the Trench, 
but yeah, for the for now, you guys need to know that Banu Quraida also broke the treaty, but on a massive scale. They literally tried to kill the children and the wives of the Muslims. Can you imagine? Children and women. They tried to straight up kill them alongside with killing the Prophet and betraying the Muslims in an official battle. And this will cause the Prophet to literally execute most of the men. Because this is treason. Again, like I said, execution is how we deal with treason in our time now. All countries. The overwhelming majority of countries, I don't even know of a country that does not execute those who commit treason. You know? Execution right away. So they will push, Banu Quraida will push the limit so hard that they will try to personally kill. Like they will go and send men to try to kill the children, the women of the Muslims, and they will be allies as well with the out the external threat. People who will come and attack Medina, they will actually uh, uh, form an alliance with them to attack the Muslims and kill the Muslims. So the Prophet ﷺ will eventually execute them, and this execution actually will come by the direct command of Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala. How it will happen, we have to talk about the next event. So I don't want to jump the gun here. Uh, so yeah, so that's basically it. Now some people might say, killing uh, and executing that uh, large amount of people, it's crazy. No, it's not. They all, they all conspired against the Muslims. It, enough is enough. It, keeping it, to keep expelling them was not going to be enough. They committed treason on the highest level. Again, it happens in our times. Anyone who commits treason is executed right away. So uh, now this is addressing uh, the, the, the quote-unquote controversy of, of how the Prophet ﷺ dealt with the Jewish tribes. We're going to talk about in detail what happens to Banu Quraida, uh, inshallah, uh, in, 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 in I think the next two episodes. But for now, we, you guys have to know that, yes, the Prophet ﷺ dealt with them, expelled most of them, executed some of them for what they did. Not for who they were. For what they did. They committed treason every single time. It's crazy. It's like, you know, somebody is trying to backstab you. And every time you give them a small punishment. Every time you be like, just don't do it again. Just go away. Just go away. And they keep trying to stab you. What happens? You have to take a stand. And that's exactly what the Prophet ﷺ and the Muslims did. Thank you so much for listening. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.